Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 108. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts, and this is our panel discussion show where a group of biology teachers get together and they talk about what's going on in their classroom. Um, this particular episode is in our series where we're talking about grading, and joining me from, where are we starting? From Texas is Lee Ferguson. Welcome, Lee. Hello. And uh, and Lee, our, our, our odd question to start this time, mm -hmm. because we're, we're out of Thanksgiving and heading into Christmas as, as when this episode comes out, is mm -hmm. what is your favorite type of pie? Ooh, pecan with a bourbon sauce. Pecan with bourbon sauce, like almost like a uh, like a Kentucky Derby. <laughs> no, because I think in, I think Derby pie has like chocolate in it, right? I mean, if I remember correctly, I've only eaten it once in my whole life. But uh, um, but but if you can make a pecan pie with like bourbon up in it, that's yeah. the best. All right. Does it is that like any holiday? That's the right thing, or yes, any holiday. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> All right. And uh, joining us from Missouri is Ryan Laxon. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, Ryan. Hello. All right. What is your favorite type of pie? So this sounds weird. Um, my <laughs> favorite kind of pie is pumpkin, and it is because I never had it growing up. Uh, we, I grew up in a Filipino household. We didn't celebrate Thanksgiving like most people did. So it wasn't until college that I ever had pumpkin pie, and it was like, where was this all my life? This is amazing. <laughs> so I, I just – I will do anything for pumpkin pie now. Wow, nice. And joining us from Arizona is Tanea Hebler. Welcome, Tanea. Hi. And what's your favorite type of pie? Okay, well, outside of my um, whole gluten digestive problems, where oh, I would yeah. be having like pie type of stuff, if mm. I didn't have any issues, and or if it's a gluten um, crust, then I would say I'm gonna. I gotta pick more than one because, like, I grew up. We would have bean pie. My dad would go like to the, the Muslim bakery, like on mm. the way home from work, and he'd pick up the bean pies, and we would eat them. Like we'd eat them up. They were really good. But sweet potato pie is super good too, and um, I like and 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 pumpkin pie is great for Thanksgiving. But I also like apple pie a lot. So, and I don't like my husband loves pecan pie, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't care for that. So, I picked four. Is that okay? <laughs> I was gonna say you like all pie, and then you 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 cut in on the not not being a big fan of pecan pie. So I I think for me like pecan is too is like too sweet to have all the time. Um, and there's also a big difference between good pecan and not so good pecan. Like I think it can get mushy and it can be overly sweet and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I already gave out of myself cause like, like Derby pie is, is like personally like one of my favorites, but I'd say apple probably is apple's probably my second. And then, you know, I, I, I like pie. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say pumpkin would be up there too. And I, I've had only two or three good times. I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, pecan pumpkin pie. No. Okay. That's something you'll get up here in the Northeast that you'll get around the holidays. And I actually, if it's, if it's the right mix, it's really good because it's not quite as sweet as a regular pecan pie. It's like a pecan crust over a pumpkin and it's oh. a, it's a, it's a nice blend. That sounds good. So, that sounds good. 
Maybe maybe it's the Filipino in me, but what is a derby pie? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's this super dense. And so technically, it's something you can only get in Kentucky around mm-hmm. the Kentucky Derby. It's like supposed to be a you know a copyrighted recipe or whatever. But and it's like super sweet too. Super sweet. Yeah, it's got like, bourbon in it. Really it's got chocolate sweet. in it. It's like gooey. It's it coconut. is a very. I think it's got coconut in it too. Yeah, it kind of has like everything in it. <laughs> yeah. The reason I like, and I, I've never made it before, except for I know that it has bourbon. But when I was in, when I was in college, there's a, I, this is a, like talk about my like background. Um, I grew up in, in Amherst, uh, Massachusetts, which is a college town. I grew up there in high school, went to college there. And both when I was in college and then when I graduated and I was started teaching, there was a cafe there that I knew the owners of. And I would go in and when I was in college, I'd go and do my homework there and get like sometimes go up for lunch and then get some coffee and they had nice big tables and they wouldn't mind if you go in there and sat there for like four hours and worked like they just didn't care. And so then when I started teaching, I would go in there and like on a, you know, like a, an evening I would go in and just grade for like five hours some nights and just do like all my work there. And uh, the owner would bring me over a slice of pie (laughs) (laughs) after I'd been there for three or four hours, she just bring me a piece of pie. Like, and it was almost always the Kentucky Derby pie. And so I think it's a little bit of nostalgia, but man, that was also a, it was like a a jolt of sugar, like laid into like three hours into a grading marathon. You get that Mm. jolt of sugar along with the coffee. And it was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. <laughs> so I, I think I'm a texture person. Texture matters probably oh. almost more than the taste. And maybe that's why I don't like pecan pie so much. Oh. Or like key lime pie, I would never eat that. Oh, yeah. Good key lime, though, is good. <laughs> yes. Good key lime pie is good. And, and I'm a texture eater, too, Tanea. And that's one of the reasons why I don't eat pumpkin pie. Is like my sister, she will put away an entire pumpkin pie by herself. Like my mom, when my mom was still around, um, you know, whenever we'd do Thanksgiving at her house or whatever, she'd buy, I think, pecan pie for me and everybody else. And then she'd buy a, pe- a, a pumpkin pie for whoever wanted it. And then she'd buy my sister her own pumpkin pie. Wow. And an entire tub of Cool Whip because she would eat both. <laughs> And I was just like, okay. And my sister would literally take the entire pie and a spoon and go off and eat it by herself. Like not a not a mini pie? No, like a legit like nine <laughs> nine inch pie. Oh she, my gosh. she will eat the entire thing. Now I don't know that she does that now that she's of a certain age <laughs> and her metabolism isn't quite what it used to be. <laughs> but but she when we were kids, she would eat an entire pumpkin pie on her own. Wow. I'm like, dang, that's crazy. <laughs> that is just crazy. All right. Well, I think that was an adequate distraction from uh, from our work of grading. Although I brought, managed to bring up talking about grading when we were talking about pie. So maybe I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so last time we were talking about this and, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pull my own quote from from uh, something I was looking up when I was somebody was asking me about my grading philosophy uh, this year and how it was going to be different. And I, and I, I said to myself, like, uh, the Churchill quote, you know, never let a good uh, crisis go to waste uh, was the the Churchill quote. Um, and and to me, that that sort of reminds me of what I've done this year with my grading, because for me, like I have been on this journey of sort of getting away from points 
and you know very heavily influenced by Paul Strode on that and and moving towards a I don't know if you want to call it a standards based or a mastery based but just basically getting away from the concept of points in general like that's my that's been really my philosophy that I've been working to and and so I've been going towards this idea of giving assignments where lots of revisions can be done. And I, I did it in AP and I've moved it more in AP. And so now like everything we do in AP up to our tests has revisions built in. Like here's feedback, you can go and redo it. You know, like that's just been a, a philosophy that I've been working towards. And I've actually started to do that in my other classes as well. I've also stopped doing late points for anything. Um, and I think that has more to do with sort of the inequities that I can't see in my students. But I'm curious how you guys have adjusted your grades this year as we've moved into this. I said, mine seems just to be an extension of my philosophy and sort of speeding up where I thought I was going. Like, I think I was going to get there in five years. Uh, and I was like, well, might as well just like blow the whole thing up and go to where I think it goes because nothing has any meaning anymore. So let's just do what we want. But um, Lee, how, how have you adjusted your grading this year? So one of the first things that I decided to do, and, and we actually made this as a, a team decision, because remember, I work with three other teachers. Of course, right now, mm -hmm. I'm only working with one other teacher, but that's another story for another time. Uh, but we decided, you know, we, we wrestled with this whole idea of weighted categories, you know, because we're, we were operating with a 40-40-20 split for, you know, tests were 40%, labs were 40%, and then quizzes were 20%. And so, you know, we kind of wrestled with that as far as like, okay, what are we going to do about this? And, and so I, I came up one day and I said, in team meeting, I'm like, why don't we just, why don't we just do away with weighted categories mm -hmm. and dump all the grades into a single bucket? You know, that way everything has equal weight. Um, I said it would, it would help us out when we have, you know, grading checks because we are required to turn in grades every three weeks. Um, and so, you know, for, and because we operate under that, that constraint of no one grade can count more than 25% of a student's total average, you know, if I only have one grade at the three week mark, which is entirely possible because of how we grade, then that one grade is hundred percent of the student's grade <laughs> and, and, and then it puts us in violation of district policy. And so I said, you know, if we have, you know, say two or three grades by the time this rolls around, then yes, we're still out of compliance, but now it's not as severe and students have the opportunity to revise, mm. you know, and we've been operating on that, that whole revision, you know, you know, that whole idea of students are allowed to revise things anyway for the last couple of years, but we did away with weighted categories. And like I wrote in the notes, the world has not ended yeah. and our grades have not shifted dramatically because of it, you know, because people were, you know, we were thinking at first, oh my gosh, then kids' grades are going to be artificially inflated because now stuff isn't, you know, weighted more than other things and, and all this. And I did not find that to be true. Um, you know, the kids actually like it because it is less stress for them, you know, knowing that, okay, in a, in a grading period where I have six grades, my tests are worth the same as my labs, you know, because right now that's all we're grading, you know, in terms of like what we put in the grade book for to calculate into the final average are tests and labs, you know, so everything, I guess if you wanted to divide it up summative formative, we're grading 100% summative, you know, because all of our quizzes now are just opportunities for practice. You know, we say, okay, you know, we're going to give you this quiz and we want you to use it as practice because we want you to take what you've missed, jot down the notes that it gives you and use that to kind of drive what you still need to understand. You know, what do you need to be asking questions about? Well, if you're missing all these questions, say about enzymes, like the quiz they just took, 
then those are the questions you need to bring to class or to tutorial, you know, because clearly these are the things you still don't understand. And so, you know, we've kind of changed ours drastically, you know, compared to what it used to be. And like I said, the whole idea of allowing students to revise, you know, that's something that I've, that I've been doing for the last two or three years as I've followed Paul's journey toward his pointless classroom. Um, you know, because as much as I would love to be able to full on do what he does, I don't know that it's possible in my system. Um, but I do like the philosophy behind it because it, it gives students the opportunity for reflection. Um, it gives them the opportunity to demonstrate growth a lot more so than a traditional grading system does. Um, but it also gives me the opportunity to have, I guess, to give the kids a lot more feedback beyond check, yes, good, <laughs> you know, and, and the kids appreciate that because they're like, oh, okay, now I understand what I should be doing instead, you know, because I do a lot of, you know, when the kids do lab reports, I do a lot of, hey, if you want me to look at your work before you turn it in for final evaluation, I am more than happy to give you feedback on that. And so what I'll do is they'll send me their work through Google Docs and I'll do a, um, I'll record a loom screen, mm -hmm. you know, a screencast and basically do a walkthrough of their work and talk through, okay, yes, I see that this is good. You've got this, you've addressed this. Oh, but wait a minute. You need to think about this here. And you might want to make sure you include this here. And Hey, by the way, your axes aren't labeled on your graph, you know, and it's usually like a one or two minute thing. And then I just email them the link back and they look at it and they're like, Oh, and then they go in and fix it. And then by the time I actually grade it, I've seen the work once. I can, I can look now at the things that they didn't address the first time and just make sure they've addressed them and then use my rubric to say, okay, here's how, you know, I'm going to evaluate this student's work, you know, and either they've done a really good job and they've taken that feedback to heart or they were just like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I know everything because I'm 16 years old and I know everything and I'm just going to turn it in the way it is. And I will say that you know, that, that approach of allowing students to, to get my feedback before I grade has helped them improve tremendously, you know, because a lot of the kids will take advantage of it. And yes, it's more work for me, but in the end, it saves me from, you know, having to allow students to redo so much work because they're getting the feedback ahead of time rather than after the fact. But so how many students do you have? Like Right um, now I have, let's see, in my AP classes, because I just picked up another section, I have, let's see, I have a 28 times five. What's 28 times five? It's 120, right? It's a lot of kids. No, yeah. 140, 140. And then yeah. I've got 18 IB students that I also do that for. So I have almost 160 kids. Um, and I'm hopefully that like, extra section that, will fall off. So hopefully. That still we'll sounds see. like a lot, a lot of grading. It is. It is. But remember, I'm also not grading a lot of things. And like this first grading period, we only had six assignments that we graded. That was right. it. You know, that, that was all we had. And this grading period, we might have eight, <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe. And so we just, we don't grade a lot because we don't grade everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some things that, you know, we'll grade and, you know, or that we'll take as grades that are self-grading. Like when we have the kids do pivot interactives, um, you know, we've changed, we've edited some of them so that like, for example, the, the one that they're getting ready to do this week, it's all multiple choice, but I've written the questions in such a way that if they could, if they, if we wanted them to answer them, um, you know, as free responses, we could, you know, but 
you know, my teammate and I are like, yeah, no, (laughs) (laughs) we we don't have time for this. Yeah. There's only so much we can do, but what we did and what the platform allows you to do is build in opportunities for, for redo, right? Like it gives you multiple opportunities to answer the questions correctly. And so as a consequence, you know, we told the students, anytime you have a pivot activity, when it gives you multiple you know, opportunities for, for resubmission, we're not allowing you to redo the whole thing because those redo opportunities have been built in along the way. Yeah. And so since it grades itself, then we could just take those out of the, out of the pivot grade book and put it into, you know, our skyward grade book, which is the, the system we use for grading. And so, you know, we've tried to find ways around, um, you know, the, the, well, not, not, trying to find ways around, trying to find ways to make that part easier for us, Yeah, you know, while still trying to tease out from the kids, what do we, what do we want you to demonstrate that, you know, hmm. you know, Ooh, a, lot, a lot in there. It makes me think of uh, yeah. the differences in, in the, also the, the age, the age level of your students, mm-hmm. like has a huge impact. So like what you were yeah. saying is I was nodding along thinking, yeah, very, that's very similar to the way I do my AP, my AP, I don't mm-hmm. have a ton of grades for quarter one, but mm-hmm. I have a lot of opportunity for revision. Um, I've been doing peer grading of practice essays where oh. I've been um, having them complete a practice essay and submit them. And then I copy their answers into Google Docs and I drop mm-hmm. the rubric in and then I have them peer grade. So that I basically have folders that are shared folders per group. And I just mm-hmm. like, it takes a little bit of time to, to set it up but not more than like 20 minutes to set up those mm-hmm. documents. And I set them up on the folders and I shared them with the the kids earlier. And then they just basically go in and they peer grade amongst their group, but they're anonymized. So they don't know whose responses are whose, ah. but they have the rubric and they can score them and get feedback. Now, I then afterwards go back and look at what their scores are and see if I agree with their rubric. And I can tell you what, a lot easier to grade those things um, <laughs> because they've already graded them. And I don't always 100% agree with them, but it gives me like it narrows it down. Like they're never giving them a six where they deserve a one. You know, like I'm looking at him and saying, oh, they only give a one here. Is there no other point there? Oh, no, there's a second point here. Like, so I'm able to do it that way. But similarly, I've, I probably will only have like six or seven grades in the grade book for, for AP for the first quarter. But my honors, my younger kids, I feel like they just need a lot more little feedback pieces just because of the way they are uh, developmentally. Um, they just need more frequent little check-in stuff. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if people agree with that. <laughs> All right. Well, Ryan, uh, how about you? Where are you on uh, the... Uh, adjustments that you've made this year to your grading or have you, I mean, I know that you started off sort of all fully in person and then you've had to go to remote. So that may have caused some switches, but where are you in this journey? So um, I, I'm, I'm in a unique position because we, we were face-to-face and then we were online and now we're face-to-face again. And it's only a matter of time before we go online again. Um and my kids are in a unique position because we're so rural and internet accessibility is not 100% um, based off of geography and socioeconomic status. Um, so couple that with all of my preps since I'm the only science teacher and I'm also an adjunct at the local community college. So I got sections of anatomy for there just because of everything I have going on for my own sanity. Um, I, I unfortunately had to just stick with what I had been doing instead of 
moving towards things that were more innovative. And it, I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with everyone. Um, it, with the community, it, 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 it takes, you know, parents getting used to the new system. And when I started kind of the Paul Strode gradeless approach in AP, it took a while for the parents to understand more than a year. So <laughs> in talking with my, um, in talking with my principal, we just kind of decided that th this, we, we probably don't want to do this this year as um, our kids are both online and in person, but then some of the kids aren't online because they don't have internet. So I have to send things home. Um, so it, it, it pains me professionally to know that I could be doing a better job and, and you know, taking it to a more innovative approach. But again, just out of pure survival, well, I'm just keeping things the, the, the way that they have been. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as you describe that, especially when you talk about the idea of like talking to administrators, because it reminded me when I started going down the like pointless model, we experimented with our lab sections uh, a year and a half ago, or as we were going into that, that I wanted to try the system because we had a new section of labs that was unique. And for that, we basically pulled our AP labs and our AP classes apart for a variety of reasons, but I ended up teaching. So last year I had four sections of AP lab that met every other day. Um, and so it was just, it was a kind of crazy system, but it was a brand new course that we didn't have a system for. And so I went and asked permission to, to do a standards-based model when we went and every administrator I went to, they're like, that sounds awesome. Can you explain to me how that works? That was, <laughs> so I went to my department head. He was super enthusiastic, super on board, but didn't know what it would look like. Then I went to my dean, same exact conversation that I went to like an assistant person. Like I literally had a conversation with three different administrators and their response was all the exact same. Enthusiastic, totally supportive, no idea how it would look. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting time uh, to do that. But I, I think that if I hadn't done that, it would have been almost impossible to try to expand that this year if I hadn't learned from it last year. So I do think that the opportunity has to come out of some experience and this would be a hard year to go to a whole new system uh, right yeah for sure I appreciate that all right so Tanea, why don't you uh tell us where where what adjustments have you been making this year uh, okay so <laughs> last year when school ended because we were virtual our district basically said like you have to assume that every kid who has a multiple choice test is has access to some way to look at outside resources so your test is not secure and so don't give a test that's going to be a multiple choice test um, where some kids are going to be advantage over other students and so i was like well what you want me to recreate everything at the last minute and i was like super stressed and then um i actually just said okay i'm going to do a video project as a final exam project instead and then I collaborated with an English teacher and he did a creative writing assignment and we had my bio kids meeting with his, um, oh, oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> we got, we got, we got a static there. All right. <laughs> I had a, uh, my bio kids meeting with his um, seniors and they were, they were talking about race and biology. And so um, it ended up, the, the key is, is that it ended up being, a project where kids had to do a lot of um, 
reflection on what they had learned over the year. And they had to do a lot of discussions and try to kind of grapple with their ideas and their thoughts. And um, it was a way to tie in everything that they had learned. And there wasn't like a right answer. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like they could just go somewhere and click on Google and say, tell me what to say. Um, And so it ended up being a good project and I enjoyed it. The students enjoyed it. And then the other classes that joined us, they ended up getting some creative writing pieces out of it that were really interesting, that were um, well-written work that I'm going to share some of that stuff in the conference that I do at NABT. So, um, and so I decided well, why not try to do my final exam different every year? Like, why does a biology final exam have to be a multiple choice final exam? And the only reason it's been like that is because that's what I've always been given. And that's all I know. So I decided to just think outside the box. And I'm going to I'm gonna try to work with another teacher if he's willing to speak with me and see if we can kind of develop this project a little bit further. And um, I, so my final exams are changing as a result. And then I'm not I'm not giving people um, like late penalties anymore, and um, I'm I I realize that everything something somebody turns in I don't have to grade everything that's been turned in, so I'm trying to step back and go do I have to put a grade in for that Is that really really important? And then with my tests I'm I'm trying to continue to give tests unit tests that are basically free response questions um, where students have to write their own, like explain things in their own words and make their claims and justify their reasoning. Um, And the only difficulty I'm having in that is that it's very time consuming to grade those types of tests. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm working towards, like, I think if I could get this one note working the way it's supposed to and have that organized at the beginning of the school year, I could get to a point where students have portfolios, like audio recordings, maybe videos they've made, their notes, their labs, um, you know, the reflections that they've written, et cetera, practice FRQs and things like that. I could have it all in one place and they could have an electronic portfolio that they're building. But I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, it's a, like I said, it's still a work in progress. Yeah, I think I have a, I think I have a way for you to do that. Um. <laughs> Yay. As I said. I would like you, I'd like you to see what I've been doing and then do it like you can blow it up and make it so, so much better. Like as you've been talking, I was like, I kind of do that. But what you're saying is so much more dynamic than what mine looks like. So uh, I love a little, uh, I love that extra perspective on what I'm doing. I think what I've created is like cool and different, but then I wasn't able to see how small and how it fits into a tight little box until you started talking about other types of products that could go in there that I don't provide my kids opportunities to do. And then it was like, oh, you're right. I could be more dynamic in what I asked them to do or more opportunities for them to express their learning. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to have, we're going to be having some conversations later on about what a portfolio in biology would look like. Um, Yay. Yay. With, because maybe, my, maybe, my <laughs> actually suggested we go to that system. And so I was like, yeah. oh, it's kind of cool that we're actually talking about that. And and by I said later on, maybe I shouldn't say this year. Maybe I should say like eventually we'll um, <laughs> eventually when we have a moment and we don't we're not exhausted and we don't have all. Right. <laughs> we'll try. All right. So so there's going to come a time. I promise you that this pandemic will be over. I won't <laughs> promise you that. 
I won't promise you that other pandemics won't be coming, (laughs) but (laughs) there will be a time that this pandemic is over. And the legacy from this pandemic is that it's going to have changed what we did during this time. And some of the things we did before are going to come back. And some of the things that we did before are going to make no sense. Um, And so I'm curious, what will be the legacy of the pandemic to our approach on grading or your approach to grading? How is that going to change as we go forward? Um, And and it may not necessarily be this pandemic. It may be just our our own maturation. But I'm curious what the legacy of this year will be on your long-term grading philosophy. I'm going to start with you, Tanea. What, what are you thinking that, and I, maybe you can address my first premise, it will, is the pandemic part of your thinking? Does, is the pandemic forcing you to try new things or is it just going to be your natural sort of maturation as a, a teacher? I think the pandemic has forced me to try new things in terms of technology, but mm. it, um, and I, I was already, like I said, tr- trying to think about my grading um, and being equitable and, uh, you know, thinking about like how to infuse discussions of race and biology. I, 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 I do a lot of reflection um, mm. as a teacher. Actually, my, my, my assistant principal would say he's never met anybody who does as much professional development as I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just like, so I think that's my, that's always been my philosophy to just evolve and do better. And it could come from a place where maybe, maybe it's an insecurity that I think I'm never good enough, you know, and I have to prove myself, but it also could just be that um, I truly value education and I know that I can grow and I can do better for each new group of students that I have. And so because I have that ability, I should, um, it's my responsibility to do that. Now, where is the problem in all this is that, um, like Ryan said, you have to keep your sanity somewhere in there. And that's been a struggle. (laughs) I'm just getting so stressed. Um, So my stress level has just been out of the roof. So I'm going to definitely keep with the not giving zeros um, uh, or not. I'm going to try to get rid of the whole zero thing and try to um, work with students if they submit something late. Like um, Lee said, I'm going to try to have less assessments and more meaningful assessments. If I'm putting something in the grade book, it should be more meaningful. Um, But I'm going to keep reading and keep um, discussing. And I hope that I can uh, have these conversations with people at my school so we can try to create a a culture of the campus where we're constantly um, growing and learning together. So I I don't know. That's it. That's all I have. (laughs) That's that's it. That's a very, you know, you struck me as uh, you brought up a thought for me when I, when I think back to, um, I don't know if you guys know who Pedro Martinez is. Uh, he was a longtime pitcher for the Red Sox. I mean, he was a, you know, he's a, I don't know if he is a Hall of Famer. He's borderline Hall of Famer. He was in the late nineties. He was arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And he's like, you know, like 160 pounds and five, nine, this little wisp of a man, but he, man, he could pitch. And he was a fiery guy in general. He had this like personality. He would always throw and hit people on the Yankees. And like, he was just, he was a great (laughs) pitcher and he was a, he was just a really fiery guy. But when he was a young player and he played for the Dodgers, he got taken out of the rotation, sent to the bullpen, and then sent to the minors by Tommy Lasorda. 
And he apparently would talk about, like, after he won back-to-back, or, like, two Cy Young Awards, he still talked about Tommy Lasorda sending him back down to the minors as, like, a personal motivation. Like, the slight that he had a decade earlier in his career stuck with him as, like, this little motivation. And sort of when you were saying today that not being good enough, like, or or always kind of working, I kind of feel like there's a piece of, I think, all sort of driven people that no matter how good you're doing, <laughs> you you hold on to things that you didn't do well at some point in your career. And it's easy to find the things that you could do better. And you don't focus on the positives. You focus mm-hmm. on that thing that you can do better. And I know I am very guilty of that, which is why the Pedro Martinez thinking back 10 years before, you know, about, you know, a slight on him uh, saying he wasn't good enough was something that he kept motivating me. I know that in my own career, I've had moments like that, that still sort of drive me to want to be better at what I do. Um, well, my first year teaching, I was told by my, I'll say mentor in quotes, by my mentor <laughs> that um, I should quit teaching while I was, while I, while I was ahead. And that first year, my father died. My father was a teacher. Um, and I don't know. So I didn't get to even have like my first teaching job be one in which I could like talk to my dad about my experiences because he was busy dying of cancer. And so like, I don't know, there's a part of like, there's a little part of all of that in when I think about, you know, wanting to do better. Yeah. I, Mm. uh, it's, it's, it's no way the same, but my second teaching job I was told by my principal that they wanted somebody who was a little more professional and that it was a long time before I was going to develop the type of professional they wanted in their school Um, I had a principal say those words to me wow that's so just so mean like demoralizing I haven't I I haven't sent him a copy of my OBTA award or my national board certification um But there is a part of me that would love to be Pedro Martinez on the mound and him in the batter's box still. And again, you know, this, this is, you know, it's 20, it's been 23 years, 24 years since that happened, but it's as visceral today as it was Mm -hmm. when I was a 24 year old. Um, And he said that to a 24 year old, like, Oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's almost like, it's like when kids are starting to learn and we yeah. penalize them for learning. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's what that was. Yeah. It that was, was exactly that. Being penalized for learning. Oh my yeah. God. That's terrible. Yeah. And it's I I, but it was, as a principal. Yeah. Um, I know? actually, I actually saw him in a professional context a few years later. I, I, I honestly don't think he remembered who I was. Like I just, it, it's that interaction at the time spoke volumes to me about me, but as time mm-hmm. has aged that, interaction speaks volumes to me about who he was um Uh you know and it's like one of those kind of things and i I think that's similar to tanea's mentor you know we're we're not all perfect professionals and we can Mm -hmm. all have weaknesses and your mentor like that principal might have said something that in hindsight they regret and it was a bad choice or it could be that their values of what is good and ranking and sorting um, are dramatically out of step um, and we we need to do better as a profession. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. All right. Uh, let's try this again, Ryan. Let's try and ask you a question. <laughs> All right. Don't say the word. Say the word uh, what's our, I don't remember what survive. our last uh, survive. Yeah. Don't survive. say survive. That's our, uh, that's our so, uh, so Ryan, uh, what's going to be the legacy of the pandemic on your approach to grading? Um, I already started 
on this path of reducing what I grade and trying to be more authentic with my assessments, try to give things that are not Googleable. Me, for me personally, my my moment that kind of fires me up and drives me now is I had a college advisor who told me that I was the stupidest smart kid he had ever met. And what he meant by that was I just couldn't do the things that that professors were asking in terms of compliance. So I, I, had, I had a hard time doing an assignment if I knew that it was busy work, if it, if it didn't show what I knew. And so I, I've always thought about that with my students and especially now in the pandemic, I, I've really started to reflect on the assignments that I give. Is, is this really necessary? Is this going to cause a hardship um, an unnecessary hardship on my students. Um, so I, I think my grading has is going to continue to reduce. Um, I hope that, again, after the pandemic, that I will be able to soldier forward with path towards gradelessness. Um, but other, other than that, I mean, the, it, it really has forced me to evolve my... My, my teaching more quickly just because we don't have a choice yeah all right how about you lee what's going to be your legacy and i think compared to a lot of the teachers i know you you already were sort of on a, a on a deep journey because of sort of where we are in our career mm -hmm. um, right so so i don't know if it represents as much a, a sea change for you but but will there be some mm -hmm. legacies to the the pandemic on your approach to grading I think so, only because, you know, now I want to kind of dig into a little bit more, you know, um, tying everything that my students do to some sort of, you know, learning objectives that I can have more data to work with, you know, more meaningful data, I should say. And it's not that I don't gather a lot of data, because I, I do, but, you know, the data I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, well, what does this really tell me? It doesn't really tell me what I want to know. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, the, the outcomes tool in Canvas can allow me to do that once I figure out how the hell to use it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, that's the thing is just finding the time to sit down and play with it and, and create assignments that, that align with that. Um, you know, I, allowing students the opportunity for, you know, pre-grading evaluation and providing that feedback because, you know, like I said, a couple of years ago, I started doing more feedback for kids and, you know, they have, they're finally coming around to using it and, and reading it and taking stock in it and going, oh, okay, yeah, she's telling me that, you know, here are the ways that I can and get better at what I do and, and really kind of imparting to them, hey, look, when somebody tells you, you know, here are the ways that you can get better at this, this, and this take them up on that, you know, because, you know, most of your teachers don't do this mm -hmm. and, and, and don't give you that opportunity to learn from your mistakes, you know, because as I said to my students, you know, when you get a paper back and, and you see that it's gotten like an 83, well, what does that really mean to you? You know, how do you know that, that, that 83 has any kind of meaning when all the teacher has written on there? It's like, they've made a check mark or they've written no, or they've written good. What is that? How is that helping you to get better? You know, you know, and I want the kids to see that, you know, they need to have that meaningful feedback and that really, you know, my job as their teacher is to kind of help provide that for them. 
And, you know, I would love to be a lot more flexible in terms of, you know, deadlines and things like that. And, and, you know, saying, hey, you have up until this point to turn stuff in. But because my student load is so big, that's a really hard one for me to manage because I just, I just have so many kids. And, and, and I think that, you know, if I said, okay, you have up until this unit test to turn stuff in that number one, they wouldn't get the feedback they needed to get better and to learn material. And number two, they'd all wait until the last minute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of them would. And, and so I don't know that that's something that I feel completely comfortable building in, but you know, definitely, you know, giving the kids lots of feedback and really kind of focusing more on, okay, you know, and continuing to focus on, hey, yes, this is what needs to be graded because what here's why, you know, here's what we're hoping the students have learned through completing this assignment, you know, and just getting better and better at designing assessments and designing work that teases out what the kids know, you know, that they can show us, oh, okay, here's what I know and here's what I'm able to do. And, and I'm definitely down for exploring this whole idea of, you know, portfolio assessment, you know, cause it's something I've, I've toyed with for a while now and just haven't been sure how to get started. In fact, my, uh, my teammate texted me earlier today and she said, let's talk about this at our next PLC, which happens to be tomorrow. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm totally down for this. Let's figure out how we can do it. You know, because if this is a better way to, assess students because it's more authentic, then I'm all for it. You know, I, I definitely want to see what is, what are these kids able to do? I mean, yeah, I know we got a high stakes test at the end, but you know, if we provide them opportunities for practice, then the test will take care of itself. You know, we, we've got to make sure that these kids can apply this, you know, these, this knowledge and, and in new and different contexts. And if we can give them opportunities to do that, that are not necessarily a test, then I think that that's even better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that again, from mentioning what I said earlier, I think the, the age group that you're dealing with, that if you're dealing Mm -hmm. with students who are a little bit more mature, a -hmm. portfolio is going to work really well. And I am, I am hesitant, but I am now a little more hopeful that possibly this portfolio concept could work with all levels of high school students. Mm -hmm. It just is going to look different in terms of the training and how long it's going to take before they learn Mm -hmm. that system. So like when I've rolled it out with my juniors and seniors, it takes a few weeks. Like it's still like, uh, you know, I, I jokingly, <laughs> so uh, I, I said that I did I, the, a couple of days ago, I went in, or I guess it was a couple of weeks ago. Now uh, we had our first, our interim reports were coming up uh, and we have mm-hmm. a couple of long-term things that go in there. And one of which is their, we call it their, their bio journal. Uh, Cause I steal all my ideas from Paul Strode, uh, but, <laughs> but their bio journal at the end of the quarter, which is the collection of evidence that they're collecting. And they're supposed to be putting in one or two a week. And I set time aside. In fact, I, I, I schedule time for them to work on their bio journals. So at that point, they should have had three bio journal entries in. And so I opened up all their Bible bio journals, which are Google Docs. And I went in and anybody who didn't have anything, I just put a zero in and said, this is missing. And uh, so all of a sudden they all got notices that they were getting zeros and missing this. And the panic that they had was like, I thought this would do at the end of the quarter. Da, 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 da. Can I fix this grade? And I was like, oh, guys. <laughs> Yeah, of course you can fix it. But right now there's nothing in here. And in a week mm-hmm. I have to give an interim report. And I have like, literally I had two 
other grades for that. Like I didn't, I, at that point I was going to have three grades for the quarter because we were really slow rolling our assessments early and stuff like that. And I was like, literally you should have three things in here. So I was just giving you a little interim check, you know, seeing how it's mm-hmm. going. Um, this is not final at all. And yeah, you could, you have till the end of the quarter, but if I have to decide how you're doing on this right, and there's nothing in thing. there, yeah. yeah, I need to have a look. And I, and I, what I said to him, I was like, I can't give feedback on blank documents. Yeah. So I didn't actually need it that day, but I also knew that mm-hmm. there were a handful of them who I'd had before and they needed a little bit of motivation to do that. And yeah, magically, a little bit of a fire <laughs> under their rear end. Yeah. And so, so did I give them a grade? I guess sort of, I put a number, I put a zero mm-hmm. into the, was, did I really give them a grade? No. Is no. it, was it locked in stone? No. Did no. I expect them to fix it? Yeah. So like I, I do that and there's like a minor freak out with my AP kids, but per, like proportionate where it belongs. I do that with my honors freshmen, like the number of counselors I would get contact from and parents I'd get contact. <laughs> like, like it would be like, you know, I might as well just like light fire to the West Wing of our school. Like I just, I, so I can't, I have to think about how to roll these things out in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I have to think about what does it look like for them? And as Lee has mentioned before, I teach on a team of five honors bio teachers at my building. So I can't just do something like that system yeah. unilaterally on my own. Um, and I don't know that all five of them would agree to that kind of philosophy, nor would they all feel comfortable doing it. And so when does that kind of thing come out? I, that It's more complicated for so many reasons, both the type of students and the context and all of those other things. So, uh, But I will say the thing that has, has been really great this year is that I learned last spring that I did a really good job connecting and building community with some of my classes, but not with all of them. And I let connection and community be something that was just, I was very laissez-faire about it. And I have invested heavily in community and connection with my students this year to start the year. And I think it really has like sort of humanized me in the eyes of a lot of my students faster and also humanized them in my eyes. Not that I didn't think of them as humans, but we have a deeper personal connection now to the point Mm -hmm. where those things that go on in the background that might be interfering with their learning, I feel there's more likely to be sharing and discussion about those things and it will allow me to help my students better. And I'm hoping that the things I've learned about that will help me in the future so that my grading can be more connected to where my kids are than it was in the past. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. so let me ask this question: um, Do do any of you besides me teach Reg Ed Biology, like no. not honors biology? No, not not anymore. So, not not for so the last two years. No, I I um I I went from being all honors to being the only science teacher, <laughs> and I took my philosophy from honors to my reg ed classes and I got the worst <laughs> EOC scores I've ever seen before. So it makes me wonder, are, is our discussion too honors focused? Is it too AP focused? Or is there really, is there evidence to show that this portfolio model will work with CWC kids, with uh, IEP kids, et cetera, et cetera? I, I, I haven't seen it because 
everyone I know focuses so much on honors. I was going to say, I think for, for on-level students, it actually might be a better way to assess what they know and are able to do. Because, you know, at least at my campus, the students who tend to take on-level biology are either students who have moved in from other districts where biology is not a ninth grade course or who are retaking it because they failed it at the freshman center in our district. And so, you know, and, and the failures happen for multiple reasons. Um, a lot of them are tied to what my, my administration calls students being non-intentional learners. And maybe they are non-intentional learners because perhaps they haven't seen the relevance in, in what the, you know, what the subject holds for them. You know, why, why do I got to take biology, miss? You know, what am I ever going to use this for? Or maybe the activities that were designed for them to do were not something that, that they could master and demonstrate mastery of, but maybe they could demonstrate their mastery of the science in a different way and just didn't have the opportunity to do that. And so I think that a portfolio assessment for those students would actually be a much better way to allow them to demonstrate what they know and are able to do. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense. Absolutely. But, but in, but do people do it? Things, That's a great question. Yeah, I have no idea. Right. <laughs> Is there evidence to show that it, that this actually works? Well, like I said, mm -hmm. I, I tried my honors system with uh, regular ed biology and it wasn't um, like overly rigorous. It was, as it has always been very few assessments um but lots and lots of feedback and my my results were were in the toilet i mean mm. I, i'm not exaggerating when i say they are the worst uh, results i have ever seen out of any school so it, it makes me wonder i i know the feeling and, and i preach this to my teachers when i was a department head but is there a disconnect in that theory versus practice mm. Well, I think I think no matter like I, I my pedagogical practice that I love is modeling, right? And with yes. all the, mm -hmm. the the data that's been collected, it they have evidence that modeling works, but it, they say it's a difference between someone who just starts modeling versus someone who's been modeling for like a, who's considered like an expert modeler. They they're going to have a different impact on the kids that they're working with. So like I think when you when you switch from one thing to another like one group of kids to another or one class to another there's a like that switch kind of like this year almost makes everybody feel like a new teacher, right? Yes. Even though I know sure. we're not we're not new teachers, but it just um you have to make sometimes slight adjustments and I think that it takes time to do that. Like mm -hmm. well what exactly is it going to make how am I going to adjust it slightly to meet the needs of the kids that are in front of me? And, and it could be different year to year. Like, so I don't know if you have had, have access to how do those kids test in previous years. But um, one thing I would like to do is, is be able to collect data like that. Um, I, we don't have like state, I work at a private school, so we don't have any like state assessments that I have to worry about. Um, the only kind of assessments that I have are the ones that I give students or like baby PSAT scores. So I, I, I wouldn't know unless I'm collecting my own data, like um, I wouldn't have a way to like even measure like mm -hmm. how my students are doing compared to someone else. But I know like, I know the students aren't doing horrible. Like they're all graduating from school and, sure. um, you know, unless they drop out of the school altogether. 
so but that's i think that getting collecting data and that that practice of uh, action research is something that more of us teachers should engage in but i think the school should support like the school should give you some type of tools to help that happen like it shouldn't just all be on me you know what i mean mm-hmm. right and if, and if right. other teachers aren't engaging in it with me we have nothing to compare anyways Right. Yeah, I, I was going to say that to me, that was my initial feeling is that uh, because I used to teach an alternative program uh, in the school as well. So these were students who really struggled through the, the school day. And, and a lot of the things that I would bring over to them, the because I taught in that alternative program for like 13 or 14 years, the I understood the and I, I think of sort of the Bob Coons like student economy student like every every student has sort of an economic philosophy of what's worth their time and what's mm-hmm. worth doing and you generally see trends in different sort of tracks of students of common like they're they're like my on my honors kids like if i was to tell them that they needed to tell me how many rocks were in the highway they would like spend hours figuring out how many rocks were in the highway and that was just because the teacher told them to do it and like they're just that's just who they are they're super compliant there's that Um, right. And, but I know that by teaching from teaching other levels, like that just, that just doesn't work. Like that doesn't work at different levels. And, and when you work with different populations, you have to sort of figure out both the economy of those students that sort of drives them. Like what, what do they view as something that's worth their time? Um, and you, you have a good sense of that, but then there's this whole other thing that you have to figure out of how to make the system philosophy that you want to work fit their economy. And as I said, because I taught for that group for 13 or 14 years, I, I worked that out for over several years as I, my philosophies were changing and I was able to do it. But, there, but the first two or three years I taught in that alternative program, I really struggled because I had no idea what the curriculum was supposed to look like. And there was really no guideposts from anybody else because it was a singleton who taught that course. And the population of the, that group changed year in, year out. And so like I every year had to sort of spend time figuring out who the kids were and what motivated them. And then I would sort of develop the system that would best work for them. And some years I just didn't figure it out. But most years I was able to, through guile and and <laughs> and expertise, figure out how to do it. But it took me, I would say it probably took me three or four years before I figured out how to efficiently do that. Um, and I was very frustrated for the first couple of years. So I wouldn't overcorrect yet. Um, And I'm sure there are teachers who, I I think of someone like uh, uh, Bonnie uh, Nevis, who teaches uh, very, like, she teaches in Massachusetts, and she teaches a very, uh, like, project-based class. And she she doesn't teach the honors in the AP, and she teaches in Massachusetts, and she teaches in a much more blue-collar town than where I teach. And and her approach is very much like a Paul Strode, no grades. Like she's very, she, she very much like that. And her population is certainly not an honors AP level student, but she, she makes it work through the lens of a very project-based approach. So. Very cool. All right. Well, I think uh, that was a certainly much more, uh, if if not uh, adventurous, uh, to get to my editing po- <laughs> policy. It was certainly much more uplifting than 
the getting bogged down in pandemic talk like we did last time. So I think uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> that was good. All right, we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, we are focusing in on grades uh, this month, so if you have thoughts on how the pandemic is shaping your grades or your grading philosophy or how to do portfolios with non-honors AP students, or if you think we're just totally wrong, blast me on Twitter at Life of the School <laughs> and tell me how wrong I am. Uh, great. I'll, I'll you want to give us a grade is what it is. Thank yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. If you want to give me an F, please feel free. If you think it's a long time before I'm going to be the type of, type of professional podcaster that you're looking for, um, then I would be uh, happy to do that because I am very much an amateur podcaster that I've convinced other people to join me on. So, uh, But uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can also support our work on Patreon at Patreon dot com slash lots i occasionally get out early releases uh this year not so much as <laughs> very early releases but i do my i do my best to do that i also post show notes up there as long as i put show notes up on life of the school.org uh, music on this and every episode is provided by jay jenkins and x magicians and again you can follow us on twitter at life of the school so thanks for joining me and we will talk to everybody soon You fell out. And it's always like when he gets to something really yeah. good. Too. You're really, really <laughs> good, Ryan. You just, fell, you just totally fell out. <laughs>